Avast there, mates, and listen up. Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church in Avon Park set sail from June 25th through June 30th from 5.30 to 8pm with a special family fun night on Friday for the whole family. We'll be casting off with the Proof Pirates this year. You'll not want to miss this thrilling time of fun, games and Bible lessons on the high seas. Send your questions to info at fbcap.net or visit www.fbcap.net. Keep a weather eye out for more information and how to sign up. Proof Pirates, finding the treasure of God's amazing grace. You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. I want you to find the third chapter of John, John chapter 3. We have been in a series of the Gospel of John now for several weeks as we have made our way through this section of Scripture We've been looking at a, a series of news. You begin in, in John chapter 2, it was the, the wedding, and we saw that there was a, a new way, that Jesus was saying that the old way has uh, come to pass, that there's a, a new way, and that only Christ can take that which was of the norm and of the old way and make a, a new wine, and Jesus is saying that I am a of a new way, and there's a new day that is upon us. We moved on to the temple, and Jesus said that I will tear this temple down and build it up. And he's saying that I am the new temple, a new new way to the Lord, a new way to God, that we worship God and enter into God's presence, not through things that we can do through works of religion, but what Christ has done. There's a a new temple. Then we began in John chapter 3, and we'll finish up that section here there was a a new birth Nicodemus came to Jesus and said you know how can someone know that they can see and enter the kingdom of God how can they know they enter into the presence of God and be right with God because a, a good Jew back in the day would have wanted to know that he was right with God and following the law and Jesus looked at him and said you must be born again now, that was not a, a typical phrase that they would have grasped. It was a, a word that meant you must be born from above. We're going to look at that word again in a minute. You will need to be born from above. There's a, a supernatural thing that must happen in your life, that it begins in your heart, and it's manifested throughout. You must be born again by the, by the water and the Spirit. And we know what Nicodemus said. How, how can that be? Sometimes the world looks at us today when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the world does not want to understand it or receive it. 
but yet it's still the gospel. And everyone still today, just as Nicodemus needed to be, we today need to be born again. Well, as we look here in John chapter 3, verse 22, we, we see a, a, a passing of the torch, so to speak. We see this, this newness coming to the forefront. Christ had come onto the scene and he had been baptized by John the Baptist and he began his earthly ministry and these things are happening even before the Gospels begin to talk about his Galilean ministry, Matthew and, and Mark and Luke. So John is giving us a glimpse of Jesus before his Galilean ministry. And you can see a, a tremendous clear switch from the old to the new from John the Baptist and what he proclaimed to Jesus but in the midst of that we get a great picture of what spiritual greatness is all about what does it really mean to be a person that is great when we get to that day in our life and and people look at our life and they they remember us for our greatness what will we be known for John the Baptist gives us a wonderful picture of what it means to be a a servant that points people to the Savior. Look at John chapter 3 beginning there in verse 22. I'm going to read 22 through 36. And after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon and Solomon because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put into prison and John is just reminding the audience that he will eventually be put into prison but he's not in prison yet so you had John the Baptist doing what he was called to do pointing the way of Jesus Christ baptizing you have Jesus coming to do what he is called to do and he is beginning his ministry so we see this overlap between the old and the new Now, discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Again, the old law and the old covenant law and the coming of the new covenant law and how does all this fit together? And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness? Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, these would have been John the Baptist's disciples and they were doing exactly what they needed to do as they followed John the Baptist and John the Baptist was doing exactly what he needed to do. But then you had Jesus and he's doing what he needed to be doing. And they said, why is he doing that when you're called to do that, John the Baptist? What is going on? And Jesus, uh, John answered, verse 27, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourself bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, I am not the Savior, I am not the Redeemer, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, and notice what John the Baptist said, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He, He goes into a series of statements why he must increase and why I must decrease. Because he is from above. 
He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in the earthly way, but he, meaning Christ, who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to that which he has seen, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever does receive his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and is giving all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God, notice what it says, remains on him. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for men of the faith, for the community of faith that we see in lives like John the Baptist and so many others in Scripture. Lord God, Jesus, we're thankful that you have come, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again, and you have given us the Spirit upon us as believers. And just as John was speaking of things that were already in place but not yet fully consumed, we have the privilege of living beyond and the other side of the cross. And so, Lord, open up our hearts and our mind to this truth, this truth of true spiritual greatness. And the things that our lives should point people to. We thank you for the gospel, for redemption, for your presence in our midst this morning. Allow us to acknowledge that as we listen and as we respond to your word. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The context of the message in this text is dealing specifically with the the going away of John the Baptist. And the coming of Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. The, 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 the works of the, the law is gone. In the Old Testament, Christ is come. The cross is in the near future. The cross is nigh. The redemption is on the way. But in this section, we see so much practical things when it comes to our life and to leadership and what Jesus Christ should mean to us. We see a great picture of true spiritual greatness. Notice as we start, first, notice John the Baptist. He is a servant. Now to this point, we just know what John was doing. So to this point, all we know about John is he just seems to do whatever God asks him to do, and he does it. Matthew chapter 11, 11, uh, Jesus reminds him, Truly I say to you, among those born of women... There has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus is saying after John the Baptist is arrested and beheaded for being a believer, for being faithful to the things of God, Jesus himself said, those born to women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, as you read that, even as you see that, you say, wait a minute, he's the greatest, but why is he the least? He's the greatest that has been born by women, but he passed in the old side of the cross. So even though John the Baptist is the greatest that's ever been born to women, those that have received Jesus Christ and redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, in essence, is greater than he. Isn't that wonderful to think about? 
That when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we repent of our sin and we allow the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away our sins, Jesus Christ is declaring we are even greater than the greatest woman, the greatest man that has ever been born to women. That's self-esteem, by the way. That's where we find our self-esteem and the hope and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel. If you don't think you're special, you don't understand what Christ did for you. But yet we see a man that is great in God's eyes. And his name was John the Baptist. And I want to challenge you as we look at his life to look at your life in regards to the words and the message of John the Baptist. He was a great man. As we look, as we we go back, we don't have time, we go back. He was born to Elizabeth. He was called to be a forerunner from the very beginning. Aren't you glad that God has a plan from the very beginning? Before The Bible says that he was in the womb of Elizabeth and he jumped in the presence of, of Christ when Mary entered his presence. Now, I don't know if you think about that. Sometimes, every now and then in Bible study, I just kick back and this doesn't sound very spiritual. I just say something like this. That is so cool to me. You know, it's kind of like those Holy Spirit goosebumps come over. Have you ever done that? So Elizabeth is great with child. The angel has come to Mary, and Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And when Mary comes into the presence of Elizabeth, John the Baptist goes like Matt wanted to do. John the Baptist got shouting in the womb. From the day that he was conceived, John the Baptist had a mission. You go tell the world that Jesus Christ is coming you go tell the world that the messiah is on the way and you ask yourself what has john the baptist done best we can tell that is what his whole life was consumed with and so we look at the man the servant we look at who he is in verses 22 through 26 there's a a playing out of of who he was and what he is doing all we know is to this point that John the Baptist as a servant was a man that was willing to be obedient he was a man that was willing to be faithful he was a man of character he was a man of fellowship he was a man that had a, a kingdom perspective And so we think about greatness and we think about God using us, it has to start there. I mean, John dressed the way he did, he ate the things he did, he looked the way he lived, he lived alone in the desert, he dressed in camel hair and ate locusts and all this crazy stuff, and he'd walk in right now and scare us all to death. He'd probably walk in here and all of our ushers and deacons and me and Matt, everybody would be wanting to get him out the side door and see if we can help him. But he was a man that was great because he understood what God had called him to do. Let me ask you this. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if somebody were to ask you, hey, are you a believer? And by the way, once someone finds out I'm a pastor, I've only had about two people in my life that would tell me they're not right with God. There are times I wish they didn't know I was a pastor, so maybe they'd be a little real with me. I had a little fun yesterday. I don't mean to have fun. I had a little fun yesterday. A, a guy saw that I had a, a Georgia shirt on, and y'all know how I love Georgia. That's a thorn in my flesh, just like the Gators are a thorn in your flesh or whatever team you pull for. And so I, I had my Georgia shirt on, and I was in a, a public place, and this guy was just going on and on. He was probably a Florida graduate. He was cussing and carrying on. How about them? Yeah, he was just going on and on. I was like, I cannot wait till I get to the part I tell him I'm a pastor. 
I just sitting there, just a big smile. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Are you from here? And I'm like, here we go. No, I'm not from here. I'm from Georgia. Where do you live? Avon Park. What do you do? I'm the pastor. <laughs> and the guy with him was just like, oh, I love that stuff. Love for you to come worship for us. We've got a place right up front for you cussing Florida heathens. You know, I don't, I'm not the judge in the jewelry. I've got, I tell people this, and I maybe I haven't said this in a wrong time. There are times I can't worry about y'all. I've got my hands full with me, okay? So, I mean, I'm not the judge in the jewelry. It's not up to me. But character just kind of flows out of people, who they really are. I'd be willing to bet that everything that flowed out of John the Baptist's life was about what he had been called to do. He said, I've been called to be a forerunner for God, Yahweh, for the coming Messiah. And we think about our life. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to start there. There's a, there's a big picture in, in play, and that big picture is the kingdom. Yes, there are terrible things going on in our world. There are great things going on in our world. There's always going to be the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. All of these things are continuously going to go on. None of that changes. What is God calling me to do? I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are, I have repented of my sin. I have placed my faith in Christ. My whole life is consumed with making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. My whole life is consumed with a kingdom purpose. John the Baptist had a kingdom purpose. Sometimes in a church we forget that. Another way to say it is John the Baptist got the big picture. In churches sometimes, we can be a church full of redeemed people. We can be a, a Christian ourselves, and we get so wrapped up in our life and our family and our hobbies and our joys and our things that we get so wrapped up in that, we forget the big picture. The big picture is not about us. The big picture is about Him. A famous pastor, Adrian Rogers. I thought about this when Adrian Rogers passed away. He was a, a well-known pastor in um, Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Pastor, I'm kind of probably in the last little generation that really remembers him. So I'm 51. The, you younger whippersnappers probably don't know. You know of him, but you've never seen him. But for those older than me, you know who Adrian Rogers is. And when he passed away at the next Southern Baptist Convention, his wife and his children were on the floor of the convention. And someone of them, I assume, had bought batons like you would do at a track meet. And I'll never forget that Miss Rogers said, my husband is with the Lord Jesus right now. But we want you to have his baton and you keep it going, pastors. I thought, that's pretty neat. It wasn't about Adrian Rogers. It was about what Adrian Rogers had been preaching. And they said, you keep preaching Jesus. See, ministry is not about us and what we are doing. It's about Jesus Christ and what he came to do. I think in heaven there's a pastor line. Do you know that? I'm, uh, I haven't been there yet. I think there's a pastor line. And pastors are going to be waiting in line. We got our own line, I guess. And being just men that we are, we'll probably be in this line and we'll be thinking what mega church pastor is going to be in the front of the line. He might not even be Baptist. Might have a good Lutheran up in front of the line up there. 
And I thought about that one day. You know who's going to be in the front of the line? It's going to be somebody we've never heard of. It's going to be a, a missionary that may have led a handful of people to Jesus Christ. It's going to be somebody that nobody's ever heard of that left the comforts of his home and was willing to go live in a jungle somewhere and pour his life into a handful of people that probably didn't even want to hear what he had to say, but he was so consumed fulfilling the kingdom, he just poured his life into the people and he poured his life into people. Those, to me, are the greatest. And sometimes we measure success about numbers and buildings and budgets and, and the vastness of people that come to, to hear us preach instead of those that come to hear about the one that we preach about. See, John the Baptist, he had a, a kingdom view. Notice what else about this servant. What does it take to be a servant? We have a kingdom view. Secondly, verse 27, John the Baptist understood this. A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Now, you know what that means? We don't get, there's not one thing that we have that we can claim as our own. Our looks, our ability. I think that's one of the dynamics about stewardship. All God is asking us to do is everything that we can, what he has given us to do. I grew up listening to Charles Stanley at First Baptist Atlanta. Just on back, I'm so old, we didn't have cable TV. Some of the young people are going, that's old. And some of y'all are going, I didn't even have a house. I'm so old. But I would, I would watch it's Charles Stanley on just... 3, 5, 11, and 17, four channels out of Atlanta. And I remember watching Charles. So when I got called to preach, guess what I thought I had to be? Charles Stanley. How long did it take me to realize I'm not Charles Stanley? The first time I preached. And I was so devastated that I'm not Charles Stanley. And everybody's not writing down every word I say. And the altar's not full every time I say it. And I'm trying to use words that Charles Stanley says. I'm trying to act like Charles Stanley and talk like Charles Stanley. This is not working. And God said, no, it's not working because you're not Charles Stanley. You're John Beck. Be your redeemed self. Strive to be holy. But be yourself and preach the gospel. And know that everything that I have given you is a gift. Think about your life. You know those things that you know you do well? Are you doing them well for the glory of God? Are you doing them well to satisfy self? Those things that you're excited about that you know is just, just where you always are. You, are you doing it for the glory of God or are you doing it for self? I heard a pastor say one time that he, he struggles in this area, but he's great in this area. And so the pastor said, because I'm so great at this area, it helps me do things better in this area. That helped me. There are certain things that I just come, it comes natural to me as a pastor. I'm gifted in certain ways. And so it would be easy to say, well, this is just what I'm gifted at. So this is where I'm going to spend the majority of my time because I'm naturally gifted at. And so I've got this free time because I'm so gifted in this area. But I learned this from an older pastor where you're gifted at. And you may say, well, it doesn't take me as long to do this as it may take others. Or I can do this better than others. Whatever you naturally do well, you just keep doing it well. God is freeing you up to spend more time on what you don't do well. And what I mean by don't doing well, how many of us get out of our comfort zone every now and then? 
You know, we don't, when we think about living a life as a Christian, it's like somebody says, well, I just can't share my faith. Well, no, some people naturally cannot share your faith. I understand that. I mean, I've got, I mean, I'd, I'd be the first one to admit, I, I, can, I can go knock on the door and share the gospel with somebody, and I still get nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm going to confess. I knock one time, and if I don't hear anything, I go to the car. Well, I guess they're not here. And the Lord said, get back on that front door. You know they're in there. You hear them. I've got a friend that can knock on the front door and walk around and talk to everybody. Just, you know, I've got some friends that do this and some friends that do that. What I don't think I do well, and I know I need to be doing it for the glory of God, I need to work at it and start doing it. With everything the Lord has given me as a gift. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 9. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. All that's been given to me is by God and His grace. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. But I, brothers, could not address to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Who's Paul talking to? God, through Paul, is talking to a church just like this one. Paul is saying, listen, I can't talk to you as mature because you're not mature. You're infants, you're babes in Christ because I fed you with milk, not solid food because you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. So evidently there was something going on that was obvious. There was a spiritual immaturity within the life of the church. Here's what it was. For you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and you're behaving only in a human way. And evidently there was some things going on. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. This is my ministry. This is what we're doing. This is what we're not doing. And Paul reminds him in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. God's saying, Paul's nothing. Apollo's nothing. It doesn't matter who waters, who sprinkles, who does this. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's field. We are God's building. Think about a church for a moment. You know, you think about just the, 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 this, just take this number here this morning. Could you imagine... How difficult it is for your shepherd. I'm the shepherd, right? I'm the shepherd. And I'm leading the sheep. And I look around. Y'all the sheep. I'm a sheep too, but I'm just the shepherd sheep. And I'm trying to, okay, let's go to the water. Doesn't that sound like an easy concept? Let's go to, you know, I'm the shepherd. Let's all go to the, the water. We're thirsty, right? It just sounds so simple. Here we go. It's like when your kids leave the nursery to come up here for children's church. It's a simple, it's a simple idea, Googe family. Just walk from this door to this door. But what happens? We got Googes running everywhere. What happens? Just from this, a simple from here to there. I said, this door, we made it straight from this door to children were like sheep. Why do children do that? Because they're sheep and they follow their parents' lead. Church, we're going to storm hell in the morning with a water pestle and the lost people in Avon Park. Let's get after it. Woo! And we, we go to the, the, the great shepherd is leading the shepherd and the shepherd turns around. I look around like, good gracious, this is like herding cats. Everybody's everywhere. Yeah, I, hold right here. I'll be back. Come on over here. Go. Somebody go get the choir. Choir over here. Deacons are still praying and having a meeting. Can I just get them out? Come on, here we go. Sunday school teachers are still, here we go. Doesn't that sound simple? 
Oh, it's not simple because we're involved with it. But it gets simple when we understand this. I do what I do because God has given it to me. Not because of me, but because of him. Have you ever met people that think they're the reason for the universe? I've met preachers that way. Well, of course they're a preacher because I'm me. Of course I, of course I pastor a, a large church somewhere. Of course I'm on television. Of course I write the, of course, because I'm me. Oh, no, no, no. Anything that we're allowed to do is because God has given us the gift to do it. What are you doing with God's gift? If God has saved you, he's gifted you. And everything that we have is a gift from the Lord. Think about this. You will be accountable and I will be accountable with what I have done with the gift that God has given me. You know, I love, I'm, I'm kind of, my hobby, I guess, is sports. I like sports. How sad is it? Every now and then you come across this list. Top 10 draft bust of all time. Poor Ryan Leach. I mean, you know, bless his heart. Somebody please be a bigger bust than him so we'll quit talking about him. And we, and we sit there and the guy had such great potential and he had great arm and he had great feet and he had great this and he was the number one, number two draft pick. What happened? When we get to heaven, oh, he had great potential and great this and great that, and he just lost his focus and lost his way, and, and you know, it, what happened? Everything we have is a gift from the Lord, and we need to use it for the Lord. That's what a servant is. I'm kingdom-minded, and I know that everything I have is a gift from the Lord, and I receive it humbly. Number three, it's kind of simple. <laughs> I like the way John says it. Look at John uh, 28a. You yourselves bear witness, I am not the Christ. Surely to goodness, we don't have to be reminded we're not Christ. Even though I think there are some in ministry that think they may be Christ. Somehow or another, I get sidetracked. Anybody else ever get sidetracked on YouTube? I get sidetracked on YouTube. And I got sidetracked on this scandals in the ministry thing. Isn't that embarrassing that we have a YouTube that has the top ten scandals in ministry? So I got, I got looking at that. And it blesses hard. It's always somebody that thinks they're Christ. You know? You send me your money because I can raise the dead. I can hear. They, one of them even said that. I thought, well, I must have missed the raising of the dead that happened. I think there are really people that think they are the Christ. They are, they are the, Jesus and them at 1A and 1B. I thought about this one day. Sometimes we just get to thinking about stuff. And I thought about this. What do I want my legacy to become? Now be careful when we say that. Because I had to be careful when I thought that. Am I going to be like Nick Saban? Will there be a bronze statue somewhere around here after I go to be with the Lord? And every time the new pastor comes in, he rubs my head on the statue or something. 
No, we're living our life now. We're going, oh, the legacy I'm going to leave behind. I'm going to, I'm going to leave such a legacy behind. And it's just going to, they'll probably have a day in Avon Park, so-and-so day, because I, I'm leaving such a legacy behind. That's a little bit full of ourselves, isn't it? I think there should be a desire to be successful and do things right. But this isn't about me. This has nothing to do with me. Your life really should have nothing to do about promoting you. You're not Christ, and I'm not Christ. But we should be pointing people to Christ. That's kind of a simple concept. But it's funny how John had to remind the disciples, I'm not the Christ. He is. Verse 28, the second part of verse 28, you yourself bears witness to this, I am not the Christ, but I have sent before him. See, we want to be a servant, and we want to be like John the Baptist. We have to realize, as 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I have been sent to point people to Jesus Christ. We don't point people to us. We don't point people to anything that we do. We point people to the one that did something through us, and his name is Jesus. And everything that we do should point people to Christ. I have been sent as an ambassador, and I share the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a lot to be said, and I do want to encourage you to come back tonight. We're going to talk about how the Word of God fits into our life, into a ministry of discipling one another in Christ, because the Word is what we speak of. You think about the... the political machine of our country we have ambassadors and that ambassador represents that country and that ambassador will share the words from his government to another government and so the ambassador becomes that well this guy the president says this can you do that and then responds back we're ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ we're an ambassador for him this is what we proclaim it's not a made-up gospel and a made-up message. It's like, hey, and, and I have to remind myself this. Sometimes I need to remind myself, I didn't come up with this. Jesus did. And that's where I say I have to remind myself, it is easy, even as your pastor, to lose the confidence and the hope that we have because in America especially, things have gotten so sideways. And if we're not careful, we think, well, we're losing. We've never lost, and we never will lose. We're just in a different battle as a country than we were 20 years ago and 30 years ago and 100 years ago. But the fight is still the same. We're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ and we have the hope of his word and that's what we're about. We're about him. John the Baptist got that. I am sent to point people to Christ. In verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Verse 29 is a great lesson of understanding the context and the culture of what this verse means written from a Jewish standpoint. There were two different things that I looked at this week that I picked up on from, from a Jewish wedding. So here's the idea. The bridegroom is Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist is referring to himself as the best man. 
and the bride is the church, uh, those that receive the bridegroom. Okay, so remember that again. The friend of the bridegroom, he stands and hears him rejoice and great in the bridegroom's voice. One, one tradition I, I picked up on was this idea that the, the best man, the friend of the bridegroom, took care of everything. And the greatest, the only job that bridegroom had was getting that bride and the bridegroom together. So the best man is the bridegroom and, and, and getting the bride together. And one commentator made the reference, it would be like in today's culture, that when the bridegroom is standing, when the bridegroom is, the groom is standing down here, instead of standing beside the bridegroom, the groom, the best man would be standing at the back door. And so when the, when the bride came out, it'd be like when, when Matt and Jessica got married. Matt, Matt, who's your best man? He forgot. I can't hear. So the, Matt is standing down here, his best man is standing back there. Jessica opens up the door, da, 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 and that best man goes, here she is. She's yours. the bridegroom, the best man would be gone. Now think about that. John the Baptist is saying, my job is to put Jesus to the fallen world. And that's it. But what's the wedding ceremony about? Where'd the best man go? He's nowhere even in the building. He's nowhere to be seen. Why? It's not about the best man. It's about them two. It's not about anything else but that bride and that groom coming together. John the Baptist said, my life is about this. The world and the gospel coming together. My job is to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's a great job to have, isn't it? We have been sent to prepare. We are the bridegroom's best man. And we have no greater joy than when we see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, there he is. Here they come. And the sad part about it is, a lot of times in our current setting, we're just trying to get the Christians to come to something instead of Christians getting the world to come to Christ. And then he said these words, I must decrease, he must increase. That's even hard for us to say, is it not? I think about ministry. That's hard for a pastor to say. It's not about my ministry, it's about someone else's ministry. It's not about what I'm successful at, it's about what someone else is successful at. Can you imagine doing that at work? It's not about my job, it's not about what I'm doing, it's about what other people are doing. That's what John the Baptist is saying. This is not about me, this is about him. Yes, I'm baptizing because the Lord has me still baptizing. Yes, I understand nobody's being baptized by me anymore. Everybody's going over there with Jesus, but this is not about me, it's about him how different would our society be if Christians took that approach I've said this before I can talk about preachers because I am one I've been in settings with other pastors that are rude and harsh and disrespectful I've stood in line at a pastor's conference before where a pastor just raked a young girl over the coals because my, my motel room smells like a cigarette and I told them I, didn't want, I wanted a non-smoking room. 
And I was sitting there in line going, Please, Lord Jesus, when he turned around, do not let him have his conference badge on. Guess what happened? He had his conference badge on. I wanted to tuck mine up and take it off, and I didn't want to be associated with them. Life is not about us, it's about others. And I don't want to have anything in my life as a Christian, especially me, because I'm a, I'm a pastor. I got a little bit different than you do. I have to really, not that I don't behave anyway, I have to really behave. Why? I'm a pastor. I mean, what would happen if I'm in the, in the self-checkout line at Walmart and I pitch a conniption fit because I can't get this thing to work? All this technology, I've seen some of y'all do it. I'm not making eye contact, but I've seen it. Here's this person standing there going, well, didn't he, didn't he, I think he stood up and announced, welcome to our church at Baccalaureate. Well, that Jesus he was talking about, what in the world, I want anything to do with that. He's mad at a machine. He's blaming a, a person probably making minimum wage and doesn't even want to be there. It's not their fault. But don't we do that? I must decrease so that he can increase. John the Baptist, oh, was a servant. But he was a servant, secondly, that pointed to a Savior. Real quick, let's look at this. Verses 31 through 36. He who comes is above all. See, we point people to Jesus Christ. We put our hope in the gospel because he is above all. Now, I made reference to that a while ago. If you look at John 3, 3 and John 3, 7, that word born again means the same thing, from above. We must be born from above. We must have a a supernatural thing must take place in our life that is God is ordaining and God is doing. Our our new birth in Christ is is a heavenly miracle. John the Baptist is reminding us and God is telling us here this morning that Jesus Christ is from above and the earth earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way and he who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus Christ is above all. We are pointing people and we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're looking at people and saying, listen, this isn't about our church. This is not about a religion. This is not about some getting, got a a get out of free hell card. I like to call it this is about the Lord Jesus Christ he is from above we're talking about a supernatural thing that takes place by repentance and faith by grace through faith that literally transforms us from the inside out when we meet Jesus Christ he is not a way he is the way he is God What would make John the Baptist live the way he lived? What would make Paul live the way he lived and Peter live the way he lived? Why would we read these missionaries that are willing to give their life on foreign soils? What made Lottie Moon live in China and literally die in the the bay outside of this village in China? She gave her life so that the gospel could be in China. We have named an offering after Lottie Moon. Why would Lottie Moon do that? Because she knew that Jesus Christ was from above 
Some of us have grown up in church all our life and we look at the gospel as well. You know, that's, if you just kind of grown up believing that, that's what you believe. And so the world believes this. And who are we to say? It is for us to say. You know, I think about it. I don't know why I'm on sports today. I'll be watching. LeBron's not Michael. But all you Curry fans, just hold on. LeBron's coming back. We'll sit there and debate and debate and debate the, who's the GOAT, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. Who's the greatest of all time? The Lord Jesus Christ is. We'll pay $500 for some LeVar Ball shoes. And we're afraid to mention the name of Jesus publicly because we might offend somebody. He is the greatest of all time. I can still proclaim the name of Jesus and be sweet and humble about it. You can be bold and compassionate and still be nice about it. But do we believe it? He is from above. 32 and 33, he bears witness to the truth. See, Jesus, the gospel is about truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father about by me. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. In John chapter 1, it even reminds us that he came as the light of the world, but the people love darkness more than the light, and they would not receive the light. But then he says in John 1, 12, but whoever does receive the light, whoever does become a child of God, he has received and becomes a child of God. Whoever receives Christ, he gives the right to become children of God. The gospel bears witness to the gospel. That's like with me. If I'm going to tell you right now, if there was a way that I could get everybody in this building today saved, I promise you I would do it. If the Lord laid on my heart, locked the back doors, turned the air off so it feels like hell and preached to four, I would do it to get everybody saved. Y'all up for it? But I can't get anybody saved. All I can do is bear witness to the truth. But some of us need to start bearing witness to the truth. Do we believe? I do believe in the power of the gospel to change life. I believe in grace. I believe in faith. I believe in John 3.16. I believe before the foundation of the world. I believe God has had a plan. If God has got a plan to put John the Baptist in a wound and full with the Holy Spirit, then God's got a plan and knows what's going on in the future. But I also realize I am sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am bearing truth to that gospel, and whosoever will, will. And we live in a current culture where we're scared to death to say anything because we don't want anybody to be offended. Sometimes I get in the flesh a little bit. I get a little sarcastic, and I apologize for that. Sarcasm is not a spiritual gift, but I am good at it. I was in a meeting one time years ago. I always say years ago, so you don't think it was last week. Years ago. And I was talking about church attendance. But don't offend them. I said, don't offend them. Every Sunday they don't come. They're offending the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, man. Oh, I can't even say amen or oh, me. Isn't that true? If a believer's not coming to church, they're not offending me at all. I don't get paid by their attendance. 
All I do is bear witness to the truth. They're offending the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're living in sin and you're doing what you ought not do, I'm not going to be accountable for that in heaven. I'm going to be accountable for the way I've preached the truth to you. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ just as I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. I think part of my role as a pastor is to try to keep the offenses down as much as we can. Don't you believe that? Bear witness to the truth. That's what Christ did. Some will receive, some will not. We just have to preach the truth like we believe it. Somebody made a comment to me one time and said, you cry a lot. I do cry a lot, I do. Funerals and weddings. Now I feel bad because if I did your wedding and didn't cry, we didn't cry at my wedding. The wedding, the picture of a husband and wife coming together is a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. That makes me cry when two people get it. A funeral for a saved person leaving this world, no matter what the circumstances are, leaving this world and going to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes me cry because it's truth and it's the gospel on display. Bear witness to the truth is what Christ did as our Savior. Verse 34, he was sent by God and he uttered the words of God and he is God. Colossians 2.9, in him all the fullness of the deity dwells. How can Jesus Christ utter the words of God? He can utter the words of God because he is God. God with us. I was on the way to church today in a song that had a reference to Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus Christ is God. John the Baptist knew that. Why am I not baptizing as many, John the Baptist said? Because he's God. He bears witness to the truth. He was sent by God. He utters the words of God. He is God. And then last, we're a servant that points people to our Savior. He is from above and is above all. He bears witness to the truth. Three, he is sent by God. He utters the words of God. He is God. And last, he is loved by the Father, and the Father has given all things into his hand. I walked in Gloria Arnold's house last night, and you say, what in the world do you say? Nothing. But I love you and thank you for Jesus. Because in a day of the day that we live, we are reminded he is above all things. He is loved by the Father, and the Father so loved us, he sent us his Son, and whosoever will repent of their sin and place their faith in him, we have that love. John the Baptist knew that. Loved, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, loved for God so loved. It's an eternal love. It is an absolute love. It is an endearing love. It is a redeeming love. And the love starts with Jesus Christ. Sometimes as an adult, we make this way too difficult. If you can't just fall in love with who Jesus is, you've never met the Jesus I've met. 
If we can't get excited about what we have in Christ, we've never met the Jesus John the Baptist met. What a great picture of a servant. He knew he had a mission and was kingdom focused. He knew everything about him was a gift of God. He knew that all he could do was be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ and just keep doing what God had sent him to do. He knew that he must increase, decrease, and that Jesus must increase. And that this Jesus is above all. He bears witness to the truth. He is sent by the Father because he is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is God. He was sent by the Father. And when we are redeemed, we receive the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God in the flesh is Jesus Christ. And he is loved by the Father. And notice what it says. He has given all things into his hand. The Father loves him and has given him all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life. Think about those words. Not only do we not have it, we don't even see it. But the wrath of God, notice, remains on them. See, this is not about who's better and who's worse, and I'm not as bad as this one. Well, I I know I'm not living for the Lord, but I'm not that bad. I'm going to tell you something. If you have never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are on the highway to hell, and the wrath of God is upon you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not who's going to hell and who's not. Without Jesus Christ, everybody is going to hell. It's because Jesus Christ, we don't have to. We got to get that right. Jesus Christ didn't just come just to give away. He is the way. And what a way it is. You think of all the people that we follow and respect and great. And the greatest example we have is John the Baptist and the life that he lived to the greatest, Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we sing and as we pray. Lord God, as we close our time of the word today, we are grateful that your word reminds us you rescue the perishing. We are grateful for the testimony of John the Baptist who believed that message and lived his life accordingly. And help us, Lord, at this time to live our life accordingly. Do we know you? Are we trusting in who you are? Are we living our life in a way of true spiritual greatness where we are nothing and Jesus, you are everything? Lord, help us understand what it means to be rescued, delivered, and saved. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.